5 through 13 this morning. It says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. I'm in the middle of a series on the life of Abraham, but today we're going to take a little detour and look at the life of Lot. Lot has... Gained a bad reputation because of Sodom, and I'd say deservedly so. But remember, in the book of Second Peter, three times he's declared as a righteous man. He did leave his home and his family to follow Abraham and travel with him. I, I would say that Lot's life that we're going to look at today is a prophecy for us. I do think Lot's life and situation is prophetic at this moment for our lives. So I think we should listen intently. For Lot's life is a cautionary tale. He had a fatal flaw. Materialism. The desire, the craving for more and more. And many of us share that same malady. It's like how they used to capture monkeys for the zoo. Dig a hole in the ground, put a jar in that hole and put a banana in that. And the monkeys would come out of the trees and reach their hand down into the jar and grab a hold of the banana. At that moment, the captors would just simply come out from the bushes and capture them because they wouldn't let go of the banana. Their hand would go in easily, but when you're holding onto it, it forms a fist and you can't get your fist out. So they were captured. Lot wouldn't let go either. He grabbed Sodom and held on. And it cost him his wife, all his family, all his possessions, and nearly his life. His story reminds us to let everything go that is holding us back and hindering our spiritual progress. It says in Hebrews 12:1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want you to think about the banana that you might be holding on to today and to let it go. First thing, let go of shallowness 
in your relationship with God. Let go of shallowness in your relationship with God. We have no record of Lot ever building an altar to worship God. Abraham has built three so far, one at Shechem, one at Bethel, and one at Hebron. Genesis 12, 7 and 8, and Genesis 13, 18. So we see that worship and prayer were central in the life of Abraham. And both indicate, worship and prayer, a deep relationship with God. Now, I have a confession to make this morning. There have been times where I've been frustrated with my prayer life. I read about those saints who get up at 4 a.m. every day and pray for two hours. Well, I struggle to get out of bed and sustain that kind of prayer time. I'm a little bit better at flash prayers. What I mean by that is if I'm walking along and see a need or a need pops into my mind to immediately throw it up there to the Lord as a prayer. So the continual prayer, I'm a little bit better than the devoted, dedicated Get on your knees for two hour kind of time. I appreciate my wife's devotional life. She's disciplined in praying. When you pray the word, you're praying God's will. And we know that if we're praying God's will, he hears us. I'm not always sure my prayers are reaching heaven. I hope they are. I want them to be. I'm also easily distracted. I don't know about you, but I keep praying and I hope you keep praying, too. So if you find yourself struggling with a daily prayer time, let me suggest setting aside a time every day and be faithful to that time and place. Maybe enlist a prayer partner to help you. Perhaps a prayer list that could keep you focused on prayer would be good. Or maybe take a prayer walk like I like to do every morning. I still want to grow in my prayer life and get closer to God. We also have no record of God ever speaking to Lot. We'll see where two angels yell at him to leave Sodom. But the Lord appeared and has spoken to Abraham three times so far in the first two chapters of our story. Genesis 12, 1, Genesis 12, 7 and 13, 14. So what is prayer? Prayer is us talking to God. All right. And I believe that everyone in this room does some of that. But how about listening to God? What about that aspect of it? This is God talking to you. God will talk to you? Of course. Jesus said in John ten twenty seven that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. God will put ideas in your mind and impressions into your spirit. But the main way he talks to you is through scripture, through the Bible. That's why it's so important to have that daily time with the Lord. It's really great to be first thing in the morning. You open up the scripture, you're praying, you're talking to God, you're reading the scripture, you're allowing him to speak to you. Of course, you can do that in a hurry up kind of manner where you just simply check it off your list for the day. Hey, I've done my quiet time. I'm done. Or you can do it slowly and meditatively. And God will speak to you. So many passages in the Bible have spoken to me over the years. I remember just before knee surgery, how much Psalm 37 spoke comfort and peace to me. Joshua 1 9 before Kathy and I moved to California for seminary was a really important verse. Joshua, I'll be with you wherever you go. That verse says Ezekiel three is a young Christian. 
on uh, if you share your faith with those who don't know me, I'll bless you. And if you don't, their blood will be on your head. Wow, that really got my attention as a real young Christian. First Samuel 230. Let me read just a second part of that. Far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me, I will be lightly esteemed. I had read that verse before, but one morning I was simply standing in front of the, the mirror in the bathroom shaving. And that verse popped into my head that I will esteem the one who esteems me. Those are important scriptures. And I know the Lord has spoken to you before from his word. I've come to love God's word and expect to hear his voice in the scriptures to be with the Lord, hear his voice and apply what he says. Well, it seems as though Lot lived out his relationship with God through Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and Lot simply tagged along. Now, that's not so bad if that person is a man or woman of God. I remember a season of my life when I was in college where I didn't have a very close walk with the Lord at that time. I don't know if I was discouraged or what was going on, but I was a reader. And so I was living out my spirituality through the life of the authors I was reading. And I was glad I was reading some really good authors like C.S. Lewis and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the Reformers. So it was almost like their faith was what was sustaining me and carrying me along. I really wasn't hearing God's voice and and walking closely within myself. I was kind of dry spiritually. Have you ever been there? You just feel you're kind of in a rut spiritually. Maybe you husbands are doing that right now in your lives. You're just kind of tagging along with your wife's spirituality. At this time of your Christian walk, you should be mentoring others, but you're not. You're just kind of tagging along. Maybe you're living through Beth Moore. Or Joyce Myers or Charles Stanley or David Jeremiah. It's their faith. It's really what's keeping you going. And, and those are not bad choices, by the way. You could do a lot worse. But you need your own walk and talk with God. Lot didn't seek God or listen to God or follow God. He followed Abraham. So if you were separated from church, from your friends, from your books, would you make it? Here's the second thing about Lot that I think is prophetic for us today. Let go of selfishness. Let go of selfishness. Lot was shallow spiritually and selfish. In chapter 12, two weeks ago, remember that Abraham and Sarah and Lot went down to Egypt because of the famine. And I always wondered if it wasn't Sarah and Lot that was kind of pushing Abraham on that decision. But they went down to Egypt, nevertheless, and Lot followed Abraham down there without seeking God for himself. We learned in chapter 12 that Abraham got rich when he was in Egypt, and so did Lot. We see that in the first verse I read, 13.5, if you have your Bibles open or your phone on Genesis 13. Egypt turned his head. It got his attention. It was the good life, and he realized, I want that. He didn't have the spiritual maturity to handle wealth. Some people do. He didn't. And then tensions rose, we see in 13.7, between his herdsmen 
and his uncle's herdsmen. And then we also read that the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land at that time. So what that means is there wasn't unlimited space. There wasn't room for both of them. And conflict arose. Do you ever have conflict arise in your life? At work, maybe? Or at home? There's one remote and two adults making decisions. Conflict. Or perhaps you have a growing family and you only have one bathroom. Conflict. James 4, 1 to 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Christians fight each other and the world just grabs their popcorn. What could be more entertaining to see Christians bicker and backstab and gossip and they just shake their heads? Why would they want to be a part of that? Someone is always watching you. When we lived in Marysville, we pastored there, Marysville, Ohio, for 13 years. There is a Frank Lloyd Wright house in Marysville. It takes up a whole city block. It's an amazing house with a beautiful yard. Well, Mr. Scott of the Scott's Lawn Company, you've probably heard of Scott's Lawn Care Products. That company was founded in Marysville, and the headquarters are there, and the plant where they produce the uh, treatments for your lawn. Well, one day somebody was walking by, a neighbor, and he knocked on Mr. Scott's door at 6.30 in the morning and said, Mr. Scott, you have a dandelion in your yard. Okay, Mr. Scott, you make lawn care products and yet you have dandelions in your yard. Mr. Christian, I see you espousing Christ and talking a good talk, but I'm not seeing it lived out of your life. Someone's always watching you. Kathy and I worked out at American Family Fitness and we finished. We were sitting at little tables up front on our tablets Engaged in conversation and Kathy went to get a drink. And while she was coming back, a man came up to her and said, I see you and the man sitting there testing each other. Now, I don't think she took it negatively what he was saying. He's just said, I noticed you guys really talking back and forth, maybe like you were quizzing each other or something. But it made me realize that someone's always watching you. You don't think just sitting at that table, anyone knows you're there, but they're watching you. Mr. Christian, 1 Peter 2, 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They should be seeing Christ in us, right? So Abraham spoke up in the midst of this conflict. I don't know if Lot would have because I think he was too busy holding on to his banana. And he said, we're kinsmen, we're close relatives, we're uncle and nephew. We shouldn't be arguing and bickering like this. Can we apply that to the church today? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Abraham then takes on the role of peacemaker and he suggests they separate, which sometimes is for the best. Remember Paul and Barnabas were on a missionary tour with John Mark, and they got into a disagreement over Mark, who wanted to bail out. 
And it got pretty heated. And Paul said, look, I'll make a suggestion. I'll take Silas. You take Mark. And then we'll have two teams out there ministering. We'll cover twice the much space. And it worked out. And that happens in the church sometimes. Sometimes Christians go their separate ways. And it's okay because that keeps the unity of the church. Abraham then is very generous to Lot, it says in the text. He offers him the choice of land. You choose first. I'll take the leftovers. Abraham, what are you doing? Wait a minute. God has promised the land to you. And you're offering it to Lot? That's no good. But God sees and hears Abraham's generous and gracious heart. I think when we are tempted to fight for our own rights and we want the best, we're going to make sure we get it. Let it go. Now, I was told, I didn't know this, by Linda and by Jody. That's a famous song. Let it go. I did not know that. I am not up on Disney movies like Frozen. So, okay. That's great to know. Let it go. So, as I say, let it go today, you know exactly what that means, even though I don't. I just was taking it literally. Okay, so we don't want stuff, right, to hurt our relationships with others. True to form, Lot takes the best. Verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and looked. He saw the well-watered Jordan Valley in front of him. It looked like the Garden of the Lord, the Garden of Eden. And then it says it looked like Egypt. Oh, boy. Egypt was a humbling embarrassment for Abraham, but it was intoxicating, apparently, to Lot. It was still on his mind. Egypt in Scripture stands for the world, for sin. And there was a place just like Egypt, right there on the plain, Sodom. Just beyond the boundary of the promised land, just outside the blessing of God. But Lot doesn't care. He headed east. Just like Adam did when he sinned against God. Just like Cain did when he killed his brother. He headed east. When you head east, you're moving away from God's provision and protection. What are you willing to compromise so you can have the good life? What is it you really want? This looks like a great place to raise sheep. But is it a good place to raise kids? Lot was oblivious to his uncle. It says in verse 11, he chose for himself, himself. He's selfish. He chose all the Jordan Valley, the whole thing. If it would have been the promised land he chose, he would have pushed Abraham out and taken the whole thing for himself. But he chose this place, even though it was inhabited by wicked people. We see that in verse 13. It says the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Do you know that phrase great sinners occurs only here in the Bible, the whole Bible? They were a special kind of sinner. Lot didn't care. Lot was only out to improve his lot. Have you ever rationalized the decision to take that job, join that group, make that purchase? I'm doing it for God. No, you're not. You're doing it for yourself. He didn't even pray. It won't be Lot influencing the pagans for God. It's going to be them influencing him. Second Corinthians 617. 
Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. Verse 10 says he looked up and saw the well-watered Jordan Valley. Verse 12 says he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now he's moved nearby. He's not just looking at a distance. He's right outside. Then in Genesis 14, 12, it says Lot, they took Lot, who was dwelling in Sodom. No more tents out on the plain for him. He's now a businessman inside the city. You see what the world does? It always sucks you in. If, if you're drawn and lured that way and you start to move that way, it won't be much longer until you're right inside. It says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the father. But it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These verses are written for Christians. Once he was living inside of Sodom, he was kidnapped. Abraham had to form an army, a, a militia to rescue him, risking his own life and God's covenant. When Abraham rescues Lot and returns all the people of Sodom and their possessions, the king of Sodom offers him to keep all the booty. But listen to his response in Genesis 14, to 24. This is Abraham's heart. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre take their share. After Egypt... Abraham learned to not trust men's riches, but to trust God. So what do you insist on getting, owning, being, doing, achieving, possessing, buying, whether God wants that for you or not? Thirdly, let go of sinfulness. Let go of sinfulness. Our story continues of Lot in chapter 19. Let's read verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. It says Lot is sitting in the gate of the city. That sounds pretty innocuous, right? Pretty harmless. But it really signifies something very important. The elders of the city sat at the city gates, the judges, the, the leaders of the city. They, they would handle contracts and legal matters would be dealt with at the city gate. So that's what that's saying. Lot is now an influential leader in the city. At first, when he arrived at Sodom, he was repulsed by the activity of the people there. Second Peter two, seven and eight. 
And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So that's how he felt when he first arrived. But he stayed. He tolerated it. He got used to it. He accepted it. He could have left and gone back to Abraham. I'm sure they could have worked something out, but he didn't. He stayed there. Is that true of us today? So God sends two angels to get them out of Sodom before he destroys it. And we've all heard about Sodom, right? Sodom is famous for one thing. Yet there's more to Sodom than meets the eye. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 16 tells us this about that place. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. As I read that, I thought, wow, what place sounds just like Sodom? America. Revelation 18:4 says, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. God is calling us to come out spiritually for sure, maybe someday physically. So the men of the city gather around Lot and demand that he hand over the angels who, by the way, look like men. So if you're wondering what angels look like. He said, hand over these men that we may know them. And listen to Lot's response in 19.7. He said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. In the NIV translation, it says, not so, my friends. And I thought, friends, these people want to rape your guests and you're calling them friends. Do you see how compromised he's become, how brainwashed? Next, he does the unthinkable. He offers his two daughters to them. Now, it's hard to know how to defend Lot here. It's really indefensible. Perhaps he realizes that these two men are sent from God, that they represent God, that they're extremely important people. But to do what he did is really indefensible. In 1980, he says, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and you do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But the men got mad about that. They were insulted by that offer. They were about to tear the door down to get them when the two angels blinded those men so they could not see the door. I'll say this, your worldly friends will turn on you in a heartbeat. Then Lot tries to convince his family to go in 1914. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. They thought he was joking. They laughed at him. They laughed in his face. If you call yourself a Christian 
and you live just like the world, sinfully like the world, you're a phony. They're laughing at your hypocrisy. You are a Christian in name only, or I'm a Christian in name only. Our neighbors know it. Our coworkers know it. Our classmates know it. You're a fraud. He couldn't pull himself away. He couldn't let go of the banana. The angels had to literally drag him, his wife, and two daughters out of there. They all didn't want to go. They were reluctant to leave. So the angels tell him, run for the hills and don't look back. Well, his wife did, and she turned into a pillar of salt. It seems like Sodom was still in her heart, even though she wasn't in the city. The city of Pompeii, Italy, was buried by 20 foot of ash from a volcano in 79 A.D. The city was later excavated and they found a woman entombed in the lava. Her feet were facing toward the city gate, but her body was turned back toward the lava flow. Her hand was outstretched and just beyond her hand, they found a bag of pearls. And it makes you wonder, did she drop them on her way out or did she spot them as she was fleeing and reach back to get those pearls? We see there that the lava isn't what killed her. Her love for things did. And so Jesus in the New Testament actually speaks about this event. Let's read that in Luke 17. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. And listen to what Jesus says here. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus is warning us, too. He's saying in the age right before I come back, it's going to be exactly like Sodom everywhere. And Christians are going to be like Lot. All Lot's green pastures burned up. All his wealth gone. Who cares if you die rich and you're outside of Christ? Lot's story, if you can believe it, actually gets worse. He asked the angels to not flee to the mountains. And these two angels accommodate his request. He asked to flee to a small city called Zor, which was intended for destruction. It was one of five cities on the plain. But he changed his mind once he was there a little while and became afraid of the people. So he wound up in the mountains in a cave where his two daughters had incestuous relations with him. Perhaps influenced by the city they just came out of. So the children born to him were really his grandchildren, Moab and Ammon. Those two sons and their descendants grew up to reject God and would plague God's people from then on. In fact, Moses in Deuteronomy 23.3 says this, No Ammonite, no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. 
Lot's grandsons. He lost his wealth. He lost his wife. And now he lost his future. He chose badly. So what are you clutching onto and won't let go? Abraham let everything go and God blessed him. Genesis 13, 14 to 18. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring a little bit different than Lot's as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So Lot lifted up his eyes and looked just like Lot did. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And Abraham saw the promised land that God promised to give him and his descendants forever. So what are you holding on to today? Would you, would I let go of our banana so that God can give you a banana plantation? So much is offered to us in Christ. And and we settle for the little trinkets of the world instead. Our one banana is not worth missing out on all God has for us. Let's pray. Lord, Lot's story is there in the Bible for us to take serious heed. As Jesus himself told us. And we look at our world and it is very similar to Sodom, unfortunately. So, Lord, we know temptation is all around us. And it's so easy to get sucked into it. We don't want to lose it all, Lord. We want to gain it all. We want to gain you. Lord, I just pray if anyone, the sound of my voice this morning, has something they need to let go of, they'll let it go. Get rid of it. Walk away from it. Get out of Babylon. Get out of Sodom. Leave it. Leave it behind. And you have so much more for us. Waiting for us, for the taking. You want to give it to us. You're so good and gracious. So, Lord, I pray at this time where we're just sitting here for a moment reflecting and and the praise team is going to lead us in a final song that we are earnestly seeking you. Lord, is there something I need to let go of? Would you show me? Please do that, Lord. We want to be pure in heart. We want to be close to you. We want to walk with you and all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.